Well, welcome to the Week in Sports Cars podcast uh, with me, Graham Godwin, and this week uh, with Stephen Kilby replacing uh, Marshall Pruitt, who's busily travelling across North America on IndyCar duty. As always, this part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast collection, and with thanks to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com. Stephen, we're recording this in the wake of a tsunami of IMSA news, really well coordinated in fact, between what is it, three teams uh, and two factories. Um, Three pretty major uh, items of news which start to put more shape around the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for the coming 2024 season. So what was the standout for you amongst those three? We'll, We'll get through all of them obviously. Well, we were having the discussion about which is the most prominent of the three news items. They're kind of all on an even keel in terms of how how many sort of significant drivers are at play. If we're looking at GTP news, I guess you'd have to say that the Wayne Taylor news from today, that Louis Delatraz um, and uh, Jordan Taylor are going to be partnering up in the second Acura for next season. I think that's probably the place to start, isn't it? That's that's really It is, and that begs a another question, which we'll come to with the questions later about Acura and Majak Racing for 2024. But all of that then has a knock-on effect, so they've recognised that, and very maturely, I think, we've then had, at the same time, the announcement for Corvette Racing of just what they're going to do for GTD Pro, and a couple of, one return, well, in fact, two returning names for Corvette Racing. Um, Nicky Katzberg, the WC GTM champion this year, uh, with his, what astonishingly for me, is his first full-season North American campaign. Uh, he'll be joined by Alexander Sims, who moves across from uh, the uh, number 31 Whelan uh, Action Express uh, GTP. And we'll come to where that fits into this picture in a moment. And uh, two retained drivers. Uh, so four factory drivers named with Tommy Milner, Tony Garcia um, staying on board. Uh, Alexander Sims and Nicky Katzberg. Jordan Taylor, of course, moves over to, to his family-owned, or in fact the Andretti Autosport co-owned team now. And that gives us the shape of their GTD Pro core full-season lineup. The third thing that links into that, of course, is Alexander Sims moving over from that number 31 GTP car, uh, from being, um, you know, uh, into GTD Pro. And who's the replacement there but Jack Aitken? Uh, who the other young man scoring a full season GTP uh, ride in what is this? What is third season in prototypes uh, with LMP2 with uh, Racing Team Turkey and Algar Pro Racing after some GT3 racing the year before, and then of course all sorts of filling action, including Le Mans 24 Hours in Hypercar, and with a rather ill-starred effort from uh, Action Express Racing. So it wraps up a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of interesting storylines to, to deal with, not least uh, Jordan Taylor back into uh, a car that is not uh, GM-powered for a full season for the first time since 2010, which is pretty darn amazing. Back to, as you say, his family-owned team. But <sighs> I think there's plenty to be excited about there. High-quality driver lineups uh, now confirmed in five full-season cars, two in GTD Pro, uh, three in the uh, still very exciting, very close uh, GTP squad. And lots of storylines coming out from all of those. Just 
for a couple of minutes, just tell me when you're reading those stories, when you were processing those stories for, for Delhi Sports Car, what were those standout? I think it's good to see some of the talent and play here progressing. So Jack Aitken going from that Endurance Cup drive to now a full season ride, which I spoke to him this morning on the phone. He was so excited. I mean, he was at a DTM test at Lausitz Ring at the time and sort of took the time to just pick up the phone um, and speak to me while he was doing that. And he was like, it's a really weird backdrop. And standing here in the Lausitz Ring and I'm finally able to tell people this news. And clearly he's really excited. He did say that um, it doesn't necessarily affect his ability to race in DTM next season. Okay. So he may do a dual programme. He just The only real caveat is that he can't compete against the likes of Corvette and Cadillac in other series. But if they're racing, if he's racing somewhere that they're not competing, he's fine. So he's got still a bit of work to do on what his 2024 looks like. But he's really keen to do all the circuits. And he's really keen to have the chance, uh, assuming accurate... Uh, uh, Action Express actually pull, push the button and go to Le Mans. He's really excited to potentially go back there and have unfinished business. That's yep. great. And Louis Delatraz, yep. another one, moving up to a full season ride. And we were having a discussion earlier, weren't we, Graham, that he's come on the scene and all of a sudden he's real hot property. He's everywhere that we kind of look. He's in a prototype and he's doing really well. He seems to be another of these drivers that, you know, show he's got real talent. Both those young men have got real talent. Sports cars, though, seem to have unlocked a bit more. And Jack Aitken in particular, I've spent a little bit of time with Jack, so have you. Um, lovely guy. I think his personality is a fantastic fit for what makes that IMSA paddock special. I think he's going to have an absolute ball in North America. I mm. think he's going to enjoy it, and I think we're going to see that shown in um, yeah, with his racing. Happy drivers tend to be pretty quick drivers. As for, for, for me, you know the, the one... A bit of the information that we've received today that was probably very predictable is Jordan Taylor uh, back to Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Autosport. Um, I think that's a great fit. I think he's going to be enjoying that. I think that is going to be one to really watch, a brother apiece in each of those cars. And that's going to be one for probably the most friendly needle in the paddock um, in that team. I think that's uh, that's another great piece of the jigsaw here but either way i'm sure the fans will be electrified by so many more pieces to the jigsaw coming together than probably people expected in one fell swoop but there's still plenty more to deal with as we move forward towards you know confirmation of who's going to be there for the full season which is going to come a lot quicker than we normally would have it for the MSO with his exports car championship. Not going to get too much into that because that's dealt with by at least one question on the list that you're going to be kind of doling out for you and I to kind of uh, crack on with. So there you go. Um, three confirmed programmes, two in GTP, uh, which effectively involve uh, two teams with three GTPs between them and two in GTD Pro, uh, by far the most popular team in the Weather uh, Weathertech Sports Car Championship, Corvette Racing, and what they'll be doing uh, in GTD Pro with a brand new car and a new look lineup, which mm. again, really exciting. And who's not excited to see Nicky the Cat Catsburg at every IMSA circuit next year after the amazing season that he's had this year? Just remarkable. Results. Do you know why he's called Nicky the Cat? No, do tell me. It's just to annoy Ollie Gavin. Is That's it? The, the only reason. The only reason <laughs> is just so I could see that face on the other side of the broadcast booth. In the uh, Asia Le Mans series, that's the only reason. But managed, managed to carry that off for two full seasons. But uh, he's been astound, astounding and outstanding all season. You know, it, it's a end of season feature that sort of writes itself. But we'll need a bit of input from Nicky. 
such success in such a variety of machinery on such a variety of circuits and that bodes well for him adapting well for a full season on some circuits he's done little or nothing before uh, I think that's that's going to be very very good news and another guy who's a delight to share time and space in a paddock with and again I think he's going to enjoy his IMSA adventure uh, thoroughly who knows how many years that's going to be uh, mm. you know the Corvette Racing have got uh, a really great uh, tradition of hanging on to their talent for an awfully long time. I mean, Ollie Gavin, he was 75 years old before they finally allowed him to step down from uh, from frontline racing. And, you know, poor old devil, you know, he's now there. Uh, I saw him the other week um, in his uh, rocking chair with a tartan blanket and a tin of sucky sweets in retirement. And, you know, obviously now in his autumn years, um, uh, but still good to see that, you know, whenever you mention racing cars, little eyes brighten up a bit and we can talk about the old days. <laughs> the other thing to mention about all this with the Corvette factory drivers is back in back in when back in Ollie's day, so four or five years ago, whenever that was. Oh you're odd. They'd just do that programme, they'd do IMSA yep. and maybe do Le Mans and maybe one other thing. They're now part of a, a stable that's yes. gonna be active beyond IMSA. So yes. we may see the likes of who knows Nicky he'll be at Le Mans? Who'll know, yeah. Who knows he'll be at Le Mans? And I mean, in SRO, they could do random like Spartan for hours in future years. Yeah, we I can mean, see them everywhere. I mean, what we're going to see, I think, is a picture emerging of just how GM are going to ramp up to this new customer-based program, not the GTD Pro program, but what they're going to do to ramp up with a, a, what has to be an expanded stable of drivers. We've not yet heard what's going on with TF Sports in the WEC in terms of drivers. We've not yet heard what's going to go on with AWA and GTD with the pro drivers that will be turning up there and whether or not that turns out to be drivers um, supplied by or assisted by GM. Uh, all of that's still in the, in the mix. And again, more excitement to come because there's certain to be some names we know well and some names we know perhaps less well and actually names that potentially are going to get a really sparkling chance to show their metal you know, on a much wider uh, playing field. Let's get to questions though. So we did mention, I think, up front that um, this did. There is an intriguing part in just one tiny part of the WTR Andretti um, press release, and that speaks to what I know we're going to deal with first, mm. which is Marshank Racing. Yeah. So we've had a handful of questions about Marshank Racing and, and the future of their Acura program. Let's start with Andre Good. He says. What happens to MSR if Acura pulls the plug on the team next year? Does MSR sit out in 2024 while trying to find a new partner for 2025? Um, I, th- I think this, this expands into all sorts of other things, doesn't it? I mean, the reality here is we've, we've seen already the announcement from uh, from the team around their IndyCar programme, Tom Blomquist, and that does make it pretty clear that Tom's pr- principal programme is uh, IndyCar, which means it's not, they're not trying to meld that together with a full season in IMSA. That in itself speaks volumes. What do I expect to happen? Um, I think I'd be prepared to say at this point that I'm not expecting uh, my Shank Racing to be racing a third Acura ARX 06 in the 2024 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, I do expect them to have worked very hard to stay in GTP and there are remarkably few options for them to do that certainly at the very start of the IMSA season next season so I think actually the question that came from uh, from Andre lays it out quite nicely which is 
Have they got an opportunity in GTP? Frankly, does that start at the beginning of the season or will, as we've seen other programmes that kick in a little later, with you know potential for another couple of cars to become available? Um, do they step back a level and do something, as they've done before, remember, in GTD? LMP2, don't really see them there, is the honest answer, but it's possible as a bridging programme. Um, I think all bets are off. The bit that I'm becoming more and more confident about is to, we can't confirm, but to say strong suspicion that we don't believe there are going to be three Acuras in GTP. Could surprise us all um, and come out with something, but uh, with the tone and the content of some of the responses we've seen to today's announcement, it's looking increasingly likely that it is going to be the WTR Andretti cars that are going to be um, the sole both the uh, representatives of the brand in uh, in IMSA in 2024. So whatever's going on at Myershank, they're hardworking, they are well-resourced, they are uh, absolutely the masters of, of getting a lot out of relatively little in terms of dragging together the strands that will help them to put together some spectacular programmes. New ownership group with Elio Castroneves coming on board as part of the uh, the ownership group of Myershank Racing. Um, whatever they do, it's going to be interesting. And it's going to be interesting even if they don't do it. Mm. Uh, because there's no doubt in my mind that even if they haven't got the programme they're looking for for 2024, I think we'll hear from them ambition about the future. I don't think um, if there is going to be a goodbye or a stepping back a little, I don't think that's the end of the story for uh, for Myershank Racing. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not going to call it until we hear from the the men themselves. Mm. Uh, there's a follow-up here from uh, of Andre's question from Right Turn Lover who says, would MSR be able to run an Acura as a customer team? I don't, or, I don't think so. No. no. So they wouldn't just retain the car? The no. Car. no, no, no. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think that's an option we've heard from uh, from HPD and Acura that that's not in their, certainly not in their immediate plans. Things can change, but that's not in their immediate plans. And I think they would want to be focused on the teams, the squads that they want to get behind for a full season tilt at the overall championship. And they appear to be all in now on a two-car effort, which matches what everybody else is doing uh, with the exception of, of, of Cadillac with the two times one. And to round this off, there's, a, there's another point here raised by uh, Brandon Kratzer, who's who is looking at the IndyCar side to this. It says he finds it ironic that Acura might drop them, but the parent company for Acura is still on their part of their IndyCar team, so mm-hmm. with Honda. Um, be interesting, I think Marshall will probably be a bit closer to that um, and where that's going. But do you, do you do you foresee them just sort of carrying on as regardless with, with Honda? And um, yeah, I mean, again, you're absolutely right. Marshall's the person to talk about there. And, and I guess it would come down to, do Acura want to lose a competitive team in IndyCar at this stage? Is that within their... Uh, is that something that they would be willing to do on the back of you know, what has been an emerging opportunity for them in, G, uh, in GTP? Don't think we should come into this just on the basis of making... Um, the assumption this decision has been made simply because of what happened at Daytona and if you don't know what happened at Daytona go and look it up and see what happened uh, post-race about penalties coming the way of the number 60 car Um, but there is another reality here which is the Wayne Teller Racing link with Andretti came very late before the start of the season 
ask yourself this question, dear listeners. Would they have gone down two times one route if that deal had been in place six or eight months earlier? Or might we have been talking about two cars for that, that squad for the very start? Don't underestimate that as a factor, that what you've got is a more capable, better resourced in every way uh, organisation than Wayne Teller Racing could ever have been at that stage. With the rapid um, uplift in terms of the the logistical complications, in particular resources that we know had to be put behind the GTP cars in the uh, in the in the run up to the season and the early part of this, this season, and that legacy will remain for a little time yet. Uh, don't assume this is just to do with one issue. Zero doubt that if that's the decision, that issue will have been uh, would have been taken into account. But there are other factors in place, including the question of Wayne Taylor Racing as we enter into 2024 is not the Wayne Teller Racing as it uh, ended in 2022, or indeed as it finished 2022. Uh, it came rather later to the party, and I suspect that might have had bearing if they'd had more notice before the start of this season. Should we move on to the next topic? Yep. So let's talk IMSA schedule in 2024. Yep. We've, had, um, we've had a go at this yeah. last week, but I think it does warrant another, another crack at it. Yeah, the dust has kind of settled now, hasn't, hasn't it? And Dennis Sozek sort of says, where do you start with this schedule? There's no Lime Rock, there's no um, no GTP at Mossport, there's a fifth round at Indy when it should be Road Americas, in his opinion. Um so that's for the Endurance Cup and he said there's schedule conflicts galore and, and our representative from Denmark Jens Jensen says with more and more date clashes between the WC and other series is it time for organisers to start locking in entry lists for drivers for the full season and hand out fines if they don't show up for certain races uh, for drivers or teams for drivers right so um, <laughs> I think you've got to uh, let's answer the second question first the drivers thing is is interesting um if you were to ask a manufacturer, they're interested in the manufacturer's championship. How they win it, they don't really care. They generally are pretty famously uninterested in a, in a driver's championship in international sports car racing. Maybe a bit different in Formula One, but sports car racing is not Formula One. It's it's different in many ways. Very many of them that make it uh, more intriguing, more interesting and better, I think we'd say, on the weekend sports cars uh, podcast. Um, I don't think insisting that they do that would be the right thing to do. Why? Drivers' careers are finite, aren't they? They are finite. Um, you want the best. Uh, you want the best they can possibly have. I'm of the opinion that we've gained a lot in this modern era with stability of entry lists. Okay, We've gained a lot. The entries have got deeper. They've got of higher quality. And we're sustaining that for longer. What we've lost, and it's something Marshall has said in a slightly different way in previous editions, we've lost that excitement that when something comes out of left field, that there's something different on a weekend. That when you and I examined for Delhi Sports Car for Racer a, an entry list, you're looking for what's changed. And generally speaking, it's a really short list, which makes what's changed newsworthy. If everything changes... So what? It's, it's you know it's it's just like a game of Scrabble where you're just rustling up the letters every time. Um, I think the odd change here here and there can be a good thing. It's inevitably irritating for the drivers who will not be able to have a tilt at 
one championship, they'd have to choose one or the other, or their, their, their teams or employers would insist on that. And I get it. And yes, I'm looking at you, Felipe Albuquerque, because you know Felipe correctly has been quite loud on that front. It's it's affected his his choices to his career. But then again, without that, we wouldn't get to see the likes of Guido Van der Garde in um, a United Autosports uh, uh, Orica. For that matter, we wouldn't get to see Felipe Albuquerque next weekend at Arrigan uh, without that kind of uh, mix and match thing that comes with it because there's issues for Nelson Piquet Jr. who otherwise would have been in that in that car. I I can't honestly get that exercised about it. Um I irritated there were three clashes with the WEC. Yeah I am there's no doubt about it. That but what I think that exposes when you look at the pattern of that calendar, there are clearly for anybody that's looking really closely at what's happened with that calendar there are multiple pressures at play uh, pointing in the direction of the Detroit street race. There are clearly major championship stakeholders that are pressure, have pressured for IMSA to be part of that race meeting. No doubt whatsoever about it. Indianapolis, there's another one. Um, you know, and We'll come back to the, the, the question of Road America uh, shortly. Uh, the reality is Indianapolis has something going for it that Road America doesn't. And that is that Indianapolis is owned by a major stakeholder in the series. You look as well at uh, the West Coast trip. Um, Doesn't seem any doubt in my mind that something's moved on that West Coast trip. And it has to have been the Laguna Seca round. Because you wouldn't be making two trips to the West Coast unless there was no choice of doing that. You would be doing something, if not back-to-back then as close to -to back-to-back as you can, and they're three weeks apart. So the reality here is that we've seen, I think, multiple changes from a draft. Mossport, look at it this way. It might be that what's happened here, and I don't know, I've not managed to speak to uh, John Doonan from IMSA about the choices made about the calendar. It might be that there was a blunt choice, which is that uh, CTMP, Mossport, goes... LMP2 and GT, or it doesn't feature. Now ask yourself the question: Which would you prefer? Mm. You know, we're, we're you know we've we've got new and different aspects to the calendar. Having a core of blue ribbon events and what's that date equity uh, part of thing to the IMSA calendar that's always been important. But there's always been that tweak here and there to accommodate the evolving class structure to accommodate the OEMs that are such an important part of what makes IMSA marketable. And yes, to accommodate the other side of it, which is the media part of the puzzle that allows you and I and everybody listening to this podcast and thousands and thousands of people beyond that to engage directly with the series. You've got to go with the very best deals you can that tick as many of those boxes as possible. And at some point, with a 12-event calendar, you're going to find a number of those where you're left with some tricky choices to make. And I think that's what has happened this year. Not ideal, but I I can understand why some of those questions have been asked and answered in the way that they have been in that calendar. Um, yeah, 
Who, who's irritated by? I think if you were to actually sit down, you know, quietly with anybody involved in this, they would say this is not ideal. But we're not in an ideal world. You know, at the end of the day, um, we have the FI World Endurance Championship stockaded with their interests and the things that they must not clash with and the things that they uh, don't worry about. And we've got the same with the Inter Weather Sex Sports Car Championship. Their interests have to be guarded first. That's the first job, is to make sure that the interests of their stakeholders are, um, are dealt with first. Not ideal, not disastrous, okay? Uh, not ideal, um, but I think potentially some lessons have been learned here. Mm. It would be disappointing for the Canadian fans, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But... I do quite like the fact that IMSA has two races next year where the headline ca- category are the other categories in the championship. I, I like because it. If, if it's your local fan- race, you're going to be rotated. Yeah. Make most no speak about it. We can't go on and on and on every week and talk about how great Hypercar is and how great GTP is and then say, don't worry about it. We can't do that. That's that's not right. For our Canadian listeners and fans, um, uh, IMSA fans, the plus side is you still get to go out every morning, walk to the end of the street, wherever you are in the fabulous country of Canada, and see wild bears, wherever you are, whether or not it's down in downtown Vancouver or up uh, up in the in the, in the North uh, Territories. Still, the bears are there. We don't get that. You and I can't go out. I've got a cat called Bear. It's not the same thing. He's a fat ginger idiot. Um, but, yeah, I can say that because he's a cat. Um, but I don't have the bears. I do, however, have Hypercar and GTP. Unfortunately, this year, our Canadian friends won't. So all we can do as part of the community that brings the action through words or through uh, TV or through radio, whatever it is, all we can do is to try to make them feel part of the show and see what 2025 brings. Mm. So uh, Sam Melner next says... What are your thoughts on the rather aggressive timeline for entrance into IMSA for 2024? This was quite an interesting part of the whole calendar announcement things. That they that Remind me about yes. the timeline. So they're bringing forward the announcement of the full season IMSA entries for next year um, and for Rolex 24 to before Petit Le Mans, before that race. So, Which shows two things. It shows real confidence. Yeah. Um, and it shows that the biggest problem they've got is who they're going to turn away. Yeah. That's basically it, isn't it? The, the point being is you wouldn't be pushing that aggressively if you expected to have spaces to fill. You're doing that because your biggest problem is getting people ready to go. That's the key. Uh, and I think we're going to see that in a variety of championships this year. I was talking um, to a friend and colleague who is part of the European Le Mans series paddock and talking about the challenges that, that they're facing up to. Same kind of thing. Expected to be oversubscribed. Same with WEC next season. Expected to be oversubscribed dramatically, in fact. So it's a, it's one of those nice-to-haves. It does mean that we've got the opportunity to analyse what's coming for 2024 somewhat earlier for the position of what we do, whether or not it's me doing it with this podcast, you doing it with... Um, Daily Sports Corral with Racer gives us the opportunity to dig deep. It also, by the way, gives the teams certainty, and that I think in the in the the modern world is increasingly important. Uh, and it's something I think that that, that, that race organisers and promoters have got to take more seriously moving forward. Is 
the brinksmanship that comes with having those choices to make can be an utter disaster for teams that fall on the wrong side of it. I, I, I won't name the team because it wouldn't be fair, but uh, I went to the December test, GTP and GTD test at Daytona last year. Um, and had some time in the paddock and also at another facility close by the uh, the circuit with a team that had found out that weekend they were not going to the Rolex 24. Their car was there. Their kit was there. Some of their people were there. And they've then found themselves, um, having had to do that for the logistics that were required, staring at a six-figure bill for a race they weren't going to do. Now, this should avoid that. Okay. Mm. Yes, you'll have to make the arrangements to put things onto planes or onto ships, but knowing in October what you're doing in January means that you can plan more effectively, it means that you can get the commercial um, building blocks together more effectively, it means you're not rushing to catch up. Because the one thing that does make things uh, really, really edgy and expensive is knowing late. That's the key. So that, I think, is one reason why. I think there's a lesson learned there. But I think it's a good thing on that front, and I think it's a, it shows, I think, uh, it's a good thing as well in terms of the confidence that IMSA have got that they will be able to complete that process that early. Mm. Um, earlier In early years, when you had the Raw in early January, yeah. and you didn't have the full season entry list for or the Rolex 24 entry list long in advance, you'd be at Christmas and there'd still be teams and drivers trying to work out who they were racing for. And, yeah, smart move. Well, you know, we, we saw it in the lead up to this season. I mean, uh, just a constant stream every week of teams and drivers making announcement after announcement after announcement after announcement. After announcement. I mean... Exciting but exhausting. It's all going to be while we're on a plane somewhere, isn't it? Now, <laughs> well, I mean, I think you know. I think we we can. You know, we, what we're seeing today shows that there is a push here to squeeze all the juice you can out of that lemon, mm. which basically means getting the best coverage you can for the good news that you've got. Uh, so I've got every confidence we'll see that from IMSA that there will be an inclusive approach to making sure that those that are responsible for getting this audience, uh, this uh, this news to a wider audience, but be given the time to dig a little deeper than just printing an entry list. Because mm. uh, let's face it, that's what we like to do. You know, cutting and pasting a press release isn't what we do. Um, what we'd like to do is to look at where the stories are within that and bring those stories alive. And the great thing about that is that the variety of news outlets that cover this form of racing, not everybody will have the same idea about where the stories are. That's why I like an announcement that's got an entry list, because it means you're probably going to be looking at the potential for 20, 30, 40 different stories. We can't all write those 40 stories immediately, so you've got to choose two or three or four, and we aren't going to be choosing the same one. So in that day, and the days that follow, will be an exciting time to be a sports car fan. Same as this, whenever you get one of these major entry lists. Uh, this is an interesting one from Rob Ball. He says, with the heavy demand for grid spots uh, for LMDH and Hypercar and GTG, GTD and LMGT3 and IMSA and WEC, if the grids for each class ever hit the 25 to 30 mark, do you think either series would ever consider running separate races for GTs and prototypes, potentially running, for instance, a GT race on a Saturday and then a prototype race on the Sunday? Uh, well, I think the answer we've seen from the IMSA side is... 
that they have shown innovation. You know, we've got, or we've had, and we will again have in 2024, a GT-only race. That, that's not quite what he's asking. Um, do I think we're going to get to that 30 mark anytime soon? No, I don't think we are. I think by the time we get into the stage where the next phase of Hypercar and GTP arrives, you'll be in that phase where you might well lose some of the uh, the starting uh, players because that's just the way it works in, in you know what is, after all, a very expensive business driven by success. Um, do I think people will be looking as to what might work? Yeah, you know, we saw um, the fan survey, unfortunately, once again, conducted by uh, motorsport.com, who, I'll be blunt, I think those surveys serve the interests of the people doing the survey more than they do the supposed clients in terms of grabbing data. But, you know, the questions that were within there were interesting. It was showing that, I know there's, there's things that, that raise people's hackles about, you know, um, sprint races, etc. but that the WEC are looking at those questions. They're looking at formats again. Mm. Not done that for quite a long time. You know, we have got a mixed format in uh, the WEC, and, and I think we'll see an evolution of that. I think you're going to see it as well with, uh, with IMSA. I think this move to five core uh, endurance events and five core um, uh, effectively sprint events for IMSA is a good thing moving forward. I think that gives it shape. Uh, but there's evolution still to come. And the pressures on the calendar will be different. I'm not saying better, will be different in subsequent years. Uh, you know, I think what we're seeing at the moment is a body of people across motorsport that can see that there's opportunities to innovate. And not all of those changes will be changes that everybody likes, but some people will. And you don't make changes unless, you, unless you've got a reason to do so. No one's putting the finger in the air and going, I know, this would be fun. They're analysing it, discussing it, and the smart ones discuss it with all their stakeholders. And everything I'm hearing at the moment is there is a level of that, that, that level of discussion is happening about all the changes or most of the changes you're seeing to this point. And I think we'll continue to see that moving forward. You and I, um, you know, came out of a very busy July and basically marshaled some of the thoughts we had on the three big races that we saw with the Spa 24, the FIWC and uh, the ELMS. And some of the, the, the thoughts that we had there weren't about the here and now. It wasn't about this was good, this was crap. It wasn't that. It was, we can see these changes are coming. It brings with it opportunity and risk. Be aware of the risk. And in particular with the ACO um, side of things, be aware that because of the current runaway success of Hypercar, that is forcing you into a position where you're compartmentalizing more than we've been able to do in the last more than half a decade your support classes and your ladder and the ladder has been remarkably uh, uh, um, positive for LMEM for the ACO for the FIWC and its supports if you look at some of the teams that are currently riding high in the FI World Endurance Championship look where they came from TF Sport are a great example TF Sport had never run a, an ACO organised race until the very first year of what is now the Michelin Le Mans Cup. That year it was the Michelin uh, GT3 Cup. They won that year the championship with Sally Yolich, who is currently leading the LMP2 um, 
Championship in the ELMS and TF Sport are going to be Corvettes representatives in the WEC next year. That probably wouldn't have happened without that ladder. Mm. Where would they have come into competition? They'd have had to invest immediately in a GTE car. They'd have had to do that in year one because there wasn't an opportunity outside of the ladder. That's what I mean when I say you need to look and see, ask yourself the question, whether or not you're Frederick Lequian or Pierre Fion, um, or for that matter, John Doonan across at IMSA. You've got a team with ability, proven ability in another formula. In, in the case of TF Sport, already had success in GT3 racing. We like teams of that ilk, of that ability, to come and race with us. Where's their entry point? That's the question that people should be asking. And not just the entry point, where's their point of escalation? You come in, most teams are not able to come in and let's say come in and do GT3 and then afford to do LMP2 the next year and afford to do Hypercar the next year because that then leaves you with two assets on your book that you've effectively paid for in, uh, paid for that asset in, for one season, one season alone. Yes, you might sell it, you know, but that's the point here. They operate as businesses. You're going to be looking to amortise that, that asset over a longer period of time. But if the only place you can race that asset is in one particular championship, that then starts to become significantly trickier to plan and significantly trickier to afford to make the next step. So that's what that piece that we wrote about um, European Le Mans series was all about. It's please think, have a strategy about how it is you encourage people in and how you communicate in an era where there are going to be fewer automatic invitations to Le Mans because of the strength of the WC. How do you encourage people to see this as a ladder? Okay, It's not a statement. It's not saying there's a problem. It's not saying they don't know what they're going to do. It's asking an open question. Hmm. That That's the way I see it. Speaking of ladders, yes. Brian McCoy says... Is the Mustang Challenge going to replace any series on the IMSA no. package, or is it too early to say? No, it's simply that Ford have come forward. I think the, the Mustang Challenge had a calendar that we weren't really expecting. I think yeah. we expected that Quite to nice. be embedded into IMSA. It's not, and that, I think, is a good thing. It's not the only thing that uh, IMSA do that isn't embedded into the core programme. They obviously now own HSR, the Historic Racing. There's all sorts of interesting things happening with those race programs. Ferrari Challenge as well with standalone events is uh, something that IMSA look after. It's, it's, it stands apart, if you like. But I think the uh, Mustang Challenge is, is a really interesting one. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves uh, through its first year of the year too. But was it 35 cars they've got signed up already? Is that right? I don't know if they've said a number. but I thought I'd heard something like 35. They're targeting... A really strong number, as yeah. the last I heard, and they're they're you know again they're trying to create their own ladder within the ladder. Yeah. They're trying to get yeah. they're they're actually trying to get a customer to buy the the track day version of the the Ford Mustang Dark Horse, take them to the Mustang Challenge, then go into GT4, then go into GT3, yeah. and stay with the same platform. And, you know, you spoke to Mark Rushbrook at uh, the Spa Twenty Four Hours, and you know this it was an encouraging thing to hear from Mark about the the scale of ambition they've got for marketing their halo car which is the mustang 
um, through a massive variety of versions in a massive variety of motorsport, including NASCAR, including supercars in Australia. Drag racing. Drag racing, everything you've just mentioned. That's great. Okay, If that is a brand that people uh, can associate themselves with and you're, you're seeing breakthrough into new marketplaces, which, by the way, you are. I mean, I was actually saying to Mark at Daytona this year, we were talking about exactly that same point. I said, look, you know, you never used to see Mustangs in the UK. If you did, they tended to be driven by the same sort of kind of person, which is the car that goes down the country in Western Bar on a weekend and is, uh, you know, it's got, is, is all American and everything. And nothing wrong with that, by the way, but it was a lifestyle choice, if you like. Now it's a core part of the brand's offer globally. And the story I told uh, Mark was I was chatting to my barber. And yes, you'd be surprised that I actually do get my hair cut. Um, and it's what, done, for all four hairs? And it's, thank you. And, and that it's done professionally. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, and this guy who knows broadly what I do for a living uh, was, 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 was saying, you know, I'm thinking of changing my car. So I said, well, what are you looking at? And he said, well, some, you know, I want something that's with a bit of style. And, you know, I think, he was, I think his choices were... It was a BMW M4, it was an AMG Mercedes, and the Ford Mustang. You know what? I'm in my... They've, they've, they've done it. <laughs> I've, I'm, I'm in my late 50s. There has never been a time. I don't remember when Mustang first became a thing, because that really was when I was very, very young. But there's never been a time in my awareness of the marketplace, and certainly not, in Europe, and absolutely not the UK, where that would ever have been a statement. That shows amazing progress for that brand, If even if that's just a one-off, and I doubt it is. You, know, you do now regularly see Mustangs on the road here in the UK. They don't look terrifically out of place. Um, they've got that kind of iconic form about them. And of course, you know, whatever you've got, you know, I drive an Audi, you drive a Ford. You know, whenever you see a version of your car in competition, you know, that that's somewhere where you've got a little bit of ownership. That's why touring car racing in the UK has been so successful. People go along and recognise the brand that they'll drive home. It's not the same car, of course, but recognise the brand that they'll drive home. You know, I can remember from the conversation um, with someone at Audi. In fact, Audi's um, book about their heritage has just come out. I contributed, I don't know, 500 words to that, and they asked me for my thoughts. And I can remember something being said to me by, you know, the beloved Paul Truswell, which is there's two kinds of people, you know, who are active in sports car racing and particularly in the in the media. Those people that have got an Audi and those people that want one, you know, and that was all done by the kind of marketing that Audi did through that period of time where they were just pushing and pushing and pushing the envelope. It does have an effect and, you know, it does engender interest in the brand loyalty to that brand yeah you know directly speaks to the people who are most likely to stay loyal to a brand if you've got a mustang and you can now turn up at so many different race circuits around the world and feel and, a yeah, part of it and turn up and likely enter a car park with other people driving the same cars as Absolutely. you and go into ownership clubs and all that sort of thing and it and it keeps people in that marketplace and it keeps them you know potentially handing that down to their kids well i mean here's the other thing is if that is your weekend car it could be a daily but if that's your weekend car mustang is now becoming a brand that it's own right there's the mackie and there's gonna be more with the mustang side of things a kind of performance edge to the forward product and you know who's to say 
I'm sure there'll be a number of people I know at, at Ford before performance that'll be going, yes, now you get it. You know, that actually what they want you to do is to get that fabulous Ford Mustang that is the, your pride and joy in the car that you take out for the weekend, take it to the racetrack, do all those things. And then you come back and the school run is done on Monday morning in the Mach-E. Mm. You know, you've got another Mustang. It's not just a Ford, it's a Ford Mustang. Doesn't matter what you or I think of that brand strategy. If that's effective, then they've broken another circle. They've broken into another uh, level at which a different generation have got a different meaning to that brand. Brands are fluid. Brands are things that you can play with. Sometimes people mess up. But if you've got something that works and you're prepared to invest, as Ford have done with the with the Mustang brand through motorsport, be really interested to see whether or not that starts to pay dividends in terms of people recognising that brand in something that's not a sports coupe and making their choices based on that. Hmm. Let's talk about Porsche. Uh, Daniel Summersgill says, during the Road America IMSA broadcast, it was mentioned that the customer teams for Porsche, Proton and JDC Miller and GTP, get little to no factory support. What do they get, and does it apply to WC customers? Well, I'll tell you, I didn't hear the broadcast. I don't know the context. I don't know who said it. Um, what I can tell you with all of those 963s is absolutely they are supported with Porsche engineers uh, on site and available with customer support at the circuits. No doubt that that's there. That's something that Porsche has done throughout the um, the customer motorsport eras uh, in whatever formula from one make. Uh, up through GT4, GT3, GTE, and now into GTP and hypercar. So the reality is, the generally speaking, when you're talking to brands that are moving forward to uh, get into customer motorsports, to, to expand their customer motorsport portfolio, the model they look to in with awe is Porsche. Uh, that That's where they're looking to get to. Why? Because it pays Porsche. Porsche have turned that into a very active, very successful part of the core business. You know, they're building hundreds of one-make races a year. You don't get to do that and get to keep doing that. Remember, 5,000 Porsche Cup cars. There was it last year, the 5,000th car um, hit the track. You don't get to keep that business unless you're looking after your customers. So the answer is... Little doubt in my mind, that may be a bit of an overstatement, uh, whoever made it. If it was one of the guys from the team, then what they're saying is, no, we've not got Porsche running this car, we're running this car, but there will be the availability of and the plug-in of people from Porsche into those programmes. I think what's important to, to point out as well is that, I remember speaking to Sam Hignett from Jota about this, is that they've had their hands in their customer car yeah. from the build yes. all the way through to yes. the first road. They had people in Vysac yep. helping with the build, yep. learning the process of the car, so they don't have to have an army of Porsche people. They don't necessarily want an army of Porsche people in the back of their garage working on their cars, but they will have some. They, they absolutely have to have some because these are very complex pieces of kit, but you're absolutely right. That's something you'll see with all of these customer cars, you know, we've heard, you know, with WRT, with the BMWs that are coming to the WC next year, their guys have been part of building up their own cars. Why? Because it's the quickest way to learn what you need to learn about preparing the car and repairing the car. And the uh, the, the key here, I think, is, look, 
Porsche are not paying these teams to run those cars. These are customer cars, they're expensive customer cars. What do you get with any expensive car? You damn well better be getting good customer service. And that's, I think, the difference here. Porsche are not running those cars, but they're giving the best customer service they possibly can, whether or not it's at the circuit during a race weekend, at a testing circuit, or back in the race shop. Uh, let's talk about Alpine briefly. Um, Damien Peachman and uh, Zanian on Reddit are both asked about the Alpine testing programme yep. for the LMDH car. Imminent. How far in, yeah, imminent, isn't it? They've done yep. the fire-up of the engine completely. Yep. It's progressing to the timeline that they kind of laid out when they first launched the car, isn't it? I don't have a date because I've not caught up with Bruno Fama. Um, but I think we can do a little bit of sniffing around in the next few days and hopefully bring some more news uh, with a show that's probably might well be us again, and that will be its Aragon uh, next week for the European Le Mans series. Should we do an Into the Night podcast we could for do the Into, Into the, the Night podcast. race? Yeah, be difficult to be a podcast and commentate on the race. At the no, same we could time. do it on the Friday night. We could do it on the Friday night. <laughs> but um, the answer is imminent. Things are clearly progressing. Good to see that things are literally coming together uh, with that. I'm aware there's been a huge degree of cynicism about the choice of engine for that car. Hashtag wait and see. Nobody knows. And certainly people who are lazily saying we've seen a, an engine that looks or sounds like it might be the same engine with that same uh, that same badge on it being terrible in other things. Uh, ergo, it's going to be an awful engine in, in hypercar. Let's wait and see, shall we? Um, not the first time we've heard things that turn out to be wrong. Uh, but my attitude to this is... You, there are some people on the internet calling this program effectively dead and hopeless before the damn things ever turn the wheel. That's ridiculous. Get over yourselves, guys, and you know, get behind what should be another exciting kind of way forward. So the answer is imminent. Uh, ideal opportunities, of course, for uh, the Alpine squad. Um, the cars will be being um, built up. The chassis are built by Orica. They are right next door to uh, the Paul Ricard circuit. There's the opportunities as well uh, with the other facilities that they've got through uh, Alpine uh, and their, their chosen technical suppliers to get that car on track as soon as is possible. But it will be imminent. Uh, let's move on to a question from Chris Ward. It says, gentlemen, I don't know if it was mentioned before, but Colton Herter was out testing the BMW GTP car Indy. Is this for just a different viewpoint or should, will we see an elevated role for him moving forward? I'm not going to talk about Colton because I don't know. I've not spoken to him and I've not spoken to uh, to MP about him. But uh, if you look back, I think a couple of episodes ago on the Weekend Sports Cars, we had quite a long discussion about some of the choices that lie ahead of BMW. It's different for most of the uh, the factory teams insofar as there is a WEC programme to facilitate as well uh, for the first time in 2024. But I think it's fair to say that both MP and I came to the conclusion that, yes, we believe they'll be looking very hard at the makeup of their driver squads coming into the next season. If there were one manufacturer, I think you can suggest that there's potentially going to be significant change on the basis of what we've seen so far, BMW would be it. And that's as much as I really want to say at this stage. Zach Anderson says, what are the prospects for additional GTP cars running at Petit Le Mans this year? I think relatively limited is the straight answer. Um, you, you know, we know that Cadillac had plans to add races to their program. That's still possible, 
but uh, I think less likely. And there's one major reason for that, and that came with that mighty shunt at Spa, mm. which basically left them chasing the logistics and the part supplies and all of those things. That has an amazing ripple effect through a season. You know, the way these programs work is they are defined over a set period of seasons that they expect to be supporting the program. But then subset of that is a single season and a program within that season. And then the races within the programs within that season. And what an accident like that does is it does send ripples through the supply chain mm. that, that, you know, we didn't think we'd need. We, we thought we'd have this stuff on the shelf. We needed that because we had to go to Le Mans and Le Mans was difficult. And then this happened and then that happened. So things have changed in terms of the overt plan for Cadillac, for starters. And also the championship hasn't gone particularly well for the for the Ganassi car. Indeed. Uh, so I think there's, there's all sorts of ways and means in which could you see... You know, a an additional car? Maybe. I don't see where that's coming from, is the honest answer. Hmm. Uh, David uh, Medler 88 says, I'm headed to the Rolex 24 in January, but I'm hearing that the Lamborghini GTP won't be there. Given that they're testing now, why won't they go to Daytona? I think the answer is, I think they're going to be there for testing but they're not going to race. It's my understanding about Daytona with the SC63. And that can only be for one reason, which is they don't think they're going to be ready. Um, it's a big ask. And we saw that with all the GTP cars um, this year at Daytona. Big ask for cars to do their first race running in a 24-hour race. And maybe with Lamborghini's program being a little more compact than some, uh, that they're just taking the view that they need a little bit more time. So I think you will see the car there. I just don't think you're going to see it race. What I'm not clear on yet is whether or not they'll be at the Raw. I think they will, but I don't think they're going to enter the race. But I've no doubt the car will be on the property. Jacob Money says, uh, So, we're aware of Isotta Fraschini, Lamborghini and Alpine joining the roster of LMH and GTP next uh, in the coming seasons. Uh, are there any other surprise manufacturers that we should be keeping an eye on in the next few months? The next few months might be a little early. I mean, we, you know, we've talked uh, repeatedly here and we've written uh, on Daily Sports Group about Aston Martin at some point. The reality of that programme is going to have to come to the fore if it progresses as we believe it is and should. Um, we talked... I'm trying to think three weeks ago, two weeks ago, about there being another four manufacturers that we we're tracking. One of those was Alfa Romeo. That looks to be um, off the agenda. As we said on the show two weeks ago, they're now dead to us. Um, Stone cold dead. Dead. I mean, Gone. dead. dead. Flatline. Absolutely. Nothing. Not leaving flowers. Nothing. 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 No. Uh, but there are still three others. And we have been in contact with all of those three. And of those three, I am... Very confident of one more. Um, I have hope of the other two. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, so that's fair. um, It's a very fluid situation. It feels like it's changing by the week with some of these. I think with a lot of these, we we hear people talk about evaluation of this and examination of that and commitment to this and the other. Here's the thing. If you're a major brand and you are interested in the opportunities that that's Motorsport offers to promote that brand, you are literally evaluating everything all the time, if you're sensible. From grassroots, 
all the way up to Formula One in terms of the money you need to spend. And if you're not doing that, you're doing it wrong, is the straight answer. Yes, of course, you then get into the point where you you more formally evaluate. But amongst the things you're going to evaluate is your confidence that the rule set that you're interested in will still be there with some longevity by the time you get there. And that's the next stage here is we're getting to the point where they need to be making it clear what happens at the end of this rule cycle. Hmm. That's now actually quite important in terms of answering the uh, the question that's in front of us here. There's no point in coming in if you suddenly find that... It's gone, and well, it's only two years. Uh, oh, it's one year. Yeah. You know, or they've uh, made such a radical change to the rule set at the end of that first year that you might just as well have waited to the next year and do it properly for three years. So we're at the stage now where absolute rich influx of, of um, cars and teams and manufacturers into 2024, the potential for at least one more in 2025, the potential for at least one more than that in 25 or 26, I believe, and then the potential beyond that for others to take a good look. Mm -hmm. And that's before, by the way, we get to talk about hydrogen and what that looks like in the future. So every reason to be enthused by this. Um, in terms of left field entries, there are still people looking, but I think the reality is it's a bit like the enigma that Nissan were faced with with LMP1. You've got an established order now, and there's some things that still need to be sorted out in that over the next year or so. But you're coming in and you've got, let's say, eight or nine factories, and you're number 10, or number 11. What do you do? Do you, How do you stand out? Where do you where do you join that track? Because they've all got two, three years of experience by the time you're on track. And that, I think, was the enigma that, uh, that Nissan faced. Just trying to do an Audi better than Audi was never going to work. Mm. Or a Porsche better than Porsche was never going to work. The bar is just so high. Yeah. And you know what the bar is by looking at it. And, and, you know and they'll look at the WEC and they'll see Ferrari versus Toyota and go... Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not as simple as we thought it was going to be. And I think that's where there's a, a kind of restrictor, if you like, on progress. And that needs to be thought through as well. And there will be ways and means you can do that. You can you know, nip and tuck rule sets here and there. Do I think we'll see other cars and other manufacturers joining? Yes. Do I think it's going to be the flood that we've had to this point? Inevitably, no, it isn't. Because by this stage, everybody that was going to look at it has looked at it. A very large proportion of those have said, yes, please. Uh, others have said, absolutely, definitely, no, we're going to choose something else. And then others are still sitting there on the fence and just seeing what emerges. And that will be what emerges in terms of the budgets involved, what emerges in terms of the stability of the rule set, what emerges in terms of the way that the events and the races are managed. And there's been some questions there, and that's what's causing the needle between uh, Ferrari and Toyota. And also... The customer marketplace. Bingo. Which is... And that, by the way, is somewhere where they have to be encouraged. We've seen bigger crowds. We've seen bigger TV audiences. We're seeing bigger audiences for what we're writing. That's a subset of all of it. At the moment, you are effectively putting something into something that's on an upward curve, whilst other motorsports, quite a lot of other motorsport, is stalling a little. Formula E, stalling, stalled. Uh, Formula One... I don't see that experiencing such rapid growth moving forward. And the, the price point is vast. 
Mm. And, and to give you an indication of how key some of these manufacturers think that customer racing is going to form as part of this rule set going forward is that we sat down with Thomas Loudenback two or three times this season and every time he's made it abundantly clear I really wish the other manufacturers would start dealing out customer cars, even though it sounds counterintuitive. Yes, we want the competition. We want other. Yes, we want other customers to come forward with other manufacturers because they can't sustain the entire yeah. customer marketplace on their own. But I think the re- reality as to why comes back again to that uh, those issues around the supply chain, the issues that came out of the COVID crisis, all of those things are still affecting the marketplace. Things are more expensive. Things are taking a lot longer to get to the point of delivery. You know, you and I have been party to all sorts of discussions that say things like, how long does it now take if you need a new gearbox? You cannot pick up the phone for a car at that kind of level and say, uh, I'd like a new gearbox, have you got one available? The answer is no, they don't, okay? It's weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before you can get that. So you've got to look after your assets, you've got to plan really carefully for it, and there's going to be aspects of this that if, if you, as we said earlier, Porsche have already got that customer network established. All they're doing is just turning it up to 11 because it's now a hypercar rather than a GT3 car or a GT4 car um, or a cup car. Most of the other manufacturers involved here, BMW have that customer network, no doubt whatsoever about that. Lamborghini do. Cadillac don't. No. But it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, but that, I think, is part of it, which is they don't want to get into that marketplace and fail. And failure for them is not finishing third. It's having unhappy customers, okay? What they want are customers that will tier a program around their products, plural. That's what they want. They want... You either want an absolute ton of customers with a baseline product, or you want a small number of really good customers that are on your ladder. That's what you want. That's why you see teams, you know, with multiple platforms. Proton competition until the Ford thing, deal that was a bit of the mold breaker. You know, it was all about what are we doing in with GT cars. They've just expanded into one make cars. They were in GTE for a million years, you know, and then into, into hypercar. It's a great example of a, a team focused on the options offered by a single manufacturer. It's why when WRT switched in the wake of the pulling of Audi's LMDH program from Audi to BMW, that was seismic. Mm. They'd done they'd done um, uh, GT3 with them. They'd done I think GT2 with them. Uh, GT4, I think they had GT4 cars. TCR, DTM, you know, you name it, they were one of the go-to places for Audi to actually show their wares and show what could be done. So when a, a change happens for those reasons, it's pretty seismic. So what I think Cadillac would be looking for initially is not we're releasing 20 hypercars. Of course they're not. They'll be releasing very small numbers, but making sure as best they possibly can, they're putting it in the hands of teams they've got relationships with. Yeah, completely agree. Down to the last couple of questions, Graham. Blimey. So... Bucky fan says, with convergence of WEC and IMSA, isn't it time for IMSA to change their rules and allow Glickenhaus to race? Mm. With BOP, it's not like some small manufacturer is going to outspend the automotive giants. It's not about that. So the answer is, I get it. And for those that don't know my attitude to uh, Scuderia, Claret, Cameron Glickenhaus, Jim Glickenhaus, Jim and Jesse Glickenhaus, 
Um, I'm lost in admiration for what they've achieved. I think they've been a hugely important part of the story that we're now enjoying the fruits of. Without that competition, without that kind of quirky underdog, you know, do I think we'd have got here? I think we would. I think it would have been more difficult. I think the, the season we seasons we came through would have been significantly less interesting. I think we owe him and them a lot. That's the WEC side of things, okay? IMSA has a completely different uh, business uh, aspect to it. IMSA has partner organisations, okay? Like any high-level, high-quality business, there are going to be rules. There's going to be a framework. And trying to bust that framework, you need a good reason to do it. So ask yourself the question, what reason have any of those manufacturers got that have complied with everything they've been asked to do, many of them for many, many years, thousands of cars being sold, to get into the model whereby they're paying those marketing fees um, that are there to activate their involvement in racing. That's what it does, whether or not it's tracks ad advertising, TV advertising, vendor road that those of us have been to the major um uh, IMSA races will be familiar with where you can go into the latest greatest cars they've got all sorts of other things support for a number of the media that cover uh, those uh, that championship to come in and not have those regulatory boxes ticked and to not necessarily be in a position where you can or would be prepared to invest back into that championship but then effectively be slotted in to be given a competitive level playing field I'd ask you this question. Think for a moment, not as the person, and I'm one of those people, that loves to kind of stand by the fence and watch these fantastic cars do their stuff. Think from the point of view of being one of the people that has to go and justify that expense to a major operation. Let's say BMW, let's say Acura, let's say Porsche, let's say Cadillac, let's say some of the GT manufacturers, Lexus, etc. How are you going to go and explain that? How are you going to go and explain when you ask the question, how do you do at the weekend? Uh, right, we, we got a brilliant podium. Okay, oh, did we not win? No, we didn't win. Sorry, sorry, sir. Who won? Glickenhaus. Who? Uh, who? Glickenhaus. Yeah, 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 Glickenhaus. Uh, and the movie maker. <laughs> but it's that. It's that part of it. You have to say... The stability of the IMSA Militech Sports Car Championship has been founded in no small parts by the success of the way in which they work with their partners. Whether that's the automotive OEMs, whether it's Michelin, whether or not it's VP Racing Fuels, all the other partners they've got in all sorts of ways. It's such a good package. It's a great package. It it's a great so package. Well. And, you know, to put one car in, okay, I've got to ask the question, is that worth rocking that boat and by the way anybody that can find a quote from Jim that says he's going to do a full season in IMSA if all that does happen will be a better person than I am because he's not so you're, you're effectively talking about another stage from that it's not we've been beaten at I don't know Lime Rock or Laguna Seca it would be coming in to do two or three of the biggest races probably not even the full endurance cup okay I've got to ask the question from the other side of the fence, is that fair to those that invested in meeting those rules and meeting those criteria? I actually have to tell you, 
that I don't believe it is. Yep, completely agree with that. What we got? Final question Ooh. from Damien Peachman, and this is, this might be my favourite question of the night. Oh, this is uh, you're on my level here, Damien. Which hypercar? That's a pretty low level, in fairness, Damien. The bar is low, but you've yeah. met it. Which hypercar or LMDH would you like to see join Porsche and Peugeot in Lego form? Ooh. I'm sitting here with a backdrop of a fabulous collection that's now not really a window still, it's now a wall. It's the, the, wall, the wall of the, collection. The wall of 164th. Yeah, the 164th. We've got some Lego on the left. We've got Lego on the left. A bit of Audi there um, going on, a bit of Ferrari. Yes. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. Um, I think there's no doubt it has to be the 499p Ferrari. Yeah, in Technic form. In Technic the, form. It's a great looking w- car. Would you go out straight away, buy no, it, bang? No, no, I don't do that. I don't know. I'm, I've got my ways, as you can see around me. But um, maybe when I retire. I'm so tempted by the Peugeot, though. I do feel like if I, you know, to sit aside for 12 hours and just say, right, today is build the Peugeot 968 yeah. day, oh, I'd love to do that. What about the van wall? It'd have to be limited edition. Because obviously it's. Highly just... flammable, not good for kids. Mm. Um, I'll say. The Lamborghini would be quite cool, mm-hmm. bright green. Yeah, um, the Cadillac would be nice. The Alpine actually would lend yeah. itself well to some Lego. Or what you could do is maybe have um, maybe one model, maybe do the Alpine, the Acura with the interchangeable parts that make the difference. Because you know there are similarities. It's not identical, but there are similarities. I think it'd be quite. Good. It's like one of those Airfix kits where you used to be able to make one of two different versions of a Spitfire mm. you know so an alternative wing with the, with the cannon or the um, or the Brownings uh, but are you saying we should put guns on hypercars no no okay. just uh, making sure no that's that's a completely different question um, <laughs> that, but please don't ask us um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think the Ferrari uh, for, for nothing else this is I'm terribly sorry this is being the really boring person that's really interested in promoting our sport better I think that's the one that would break through mm. um, you know I think we've seen the pluses as well as one or two of the minuses of having Ferrari involved at the top end of sports cars now and you know uh, I'm keen to see just how far that can be progressed well we, we had a conversation earlier didn't we about the cut through because there was some chatter on the internet about the potential for the Formula 1 programme to run the Le Mans livery at I think, Monza. I think it's going to run some kind of tribute to it and there's new merchandise that involves the yellow theme as well um, Amazing. Staggering I think it's great. I, I don't see a downside I don't see a downside to it yet. You know, yeah we got the needle and that needs to be managed properly and sensible people need to go into rooms with other sensible people and answer direct questions sensibly so that we don't get that exploding but the reality at the moment is i think what we've got is something that is truly exciting truly exciting i am you know we've got two more wc races to go one of which is super long haul and not in a great seat and i'm still looking forward to it yeah, I mean, it's Ferrari versus Toyota on Toyota's home turf, having just come away from Toyota beating and Ferrari Peugeot. on their home turf. And Peugeot. And Peugeot. And, and then, Cadillac. And, and Porsche. Porsche. Uh, no, 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 Glickenhaus, because they're not going. And, and no, this, no, 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 let's not mention the other one. It's going to be two cars and GTEs. Fantastic. It's going to be great. You know, it's going to be great. And it's the end of a couple of eras for the WC with these two races coming. The end of LMP2 at the end of uh, Bahrain. The same for GTE and... By the way, there'll be a lot more material we'll be talking about uh, into December 
and into the Christmas period about all of that because there's so many storylines to uh, to follow up on. But uh, for me, it's a boring answer, but it, it is the Ferrari. Um, I'd like to what I'd like to see more than anything else, more than anything else, is someone to push the button so that I can have all of those cars on the little shelf behind me. Hot Wheels, if you're listening, you did it for the <laughs> uh, the ALMS. Uh, way back when, with the Panos and with the Cadillac and with the Ferrari 333s and the Raleigh and Scott's Hot Wheels. We know you're doing a Rexy. We know you are. Um, I'd love to see some hypercars and GTPs. Yeah, I'll leave you with this. If we're going down the Lego route, it's not a hypercar on LMDH. Please make the Garage 56 NASCAR. We all want it. We all love it. We're all going down to the shops together to buy it. Make the Garage 56 Camaro. I think they need to make the change for Lego that they've made in model railways, which was something of a kind of slow burn for me. So I'll mention this to me in conversation, which is, I, like a lot of people, had a a train set when I was little. Um, What I hadn't realised is that you can now get those models, and they're beautifully scale modelled, with a chip inside them that sounds like the real locomotive. No. Oh, yeah. As a kid, that would have been the end for me. Yeah, I which, wouldn't be sitting here today. I'd still be in my bedroom. You, you ramp up the uh, up the uh, uh, up the ampage, and up goes the um, up goes the note. Absolutely fantastic, brilliant. That's really cool. That would be cool. So imagine that um, on Christmas morning with your nana giving you your Lego Technics uh, Garage Fifty Six NASCAR. And it blows the windows out. Blows the windows out. You'd be getting complaints to the neighbours by three o'clock. And the king's message now. But you'd have a Camaro, and that would be cool. That would be cool. You would be, you know, yeah, you'd be too cool for school, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't be finished by the time you had to go back to school the new year, but uh, there you go. For now, though, thank you to Stephen Kilby. Thanks to Daniel Summerskill for turning around these questions. Thanks, by the way, to everybody to respond to the questions in the three ways you can now do it. Uh, through Twitter and keep a lookout for the call for questions through Facebook and the Marshall Pruitt podcast page and for the first time this week and thanks ladies and gentlemen that have uh, contributed it on the RWEC uh, Discord channel um, putting those questions together uh, we'll carry on with those coming into uh, next week uh, but for now with thanks to Kubertires to the Justice Brothers to TorontoMotorsports.com for the absence Marshall Pruitt will in any case be producing this show once we've sorted this one out and sent it along to him. Uh, I've been Graham Goodwin. He's been Stephen Kilby. Uh, This has been the Week in Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Collection, and we will talk to you next week.